Coming up on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're going to be covering listener feedback. The Brave browser, is it time to switch from Firefox, Zorin OS, Test Tube Titans, and finally, tips and tricks along with all of our software picks this week, all this week, coming up on Destination Linux. Welcome to episode 165. This is a podcast about sharing our passion for Linux open and open source. Destination Linux is a show for experiences of all levels. So whether you're a beginner or a master sudoer, welcome. My name's Noel. With me today are the thumb-wrestling champions of the world, Michael, Emma, and Ryan. Emma, I didn't know you were a, a thumb-wrestling championship. Congratulations. <laughs> Uh, we're excited to have Emma back on Destination Linux. Emma is the happiness manager at System76, ensuring happiness all around in System76 as well as their customers with machines born to run Linux. Her appearance on the show in episodes 139 and 157. Emma, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, coming back to co-host, what have you been up to? Well, I've been cleaning a lot, disinfecting things. Mm -hmm. um, hey, us too. Also, um, we've been working uh, remote on Mondays, my team, and we found this little Cards Against Humanity game online. It's like oh. pretenderxyz.com. I don't know if any okay. of you guys have played that before. Oh, but yeah. We've, Definitely. Uh, we've been playing that all week long, and that was pretty fun. So I suggest that if you're going to be remote working all week. If you're, if you're remote working, also play games while you're working. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I, I mean, people I do it while they're in the office. So why I know that's, that's why right. it's that's why it's awesome because like this way you can actually like know for the the value of it. Like this is how games make you more efficient. Listen, uh, here's the thing: if you're reducing your ability to spread COVID nineteen, it's okay if you play a couple of. No, games, no, no, right? no, no, no. I'm saying this is you can actually use it to you know to calculate your proficiency while how like because yeah. there so many people are being remote, we could actually that's use it as a data set to see how that's games prove. You can't do that. The, you, I mean, if you tr if you try if you if you had the right attitude, Noah. Jeez, man. I see okay, where you're going with it, Michael, but I think the point is just to motivate and laugh. Probably yes, okay. That's probably fun. more valuable. Don't need to overthink it. Yeah, I, I was, I was, yeah, I was doing too much. That's true. Let's let's really Michael's going to have the last laugh here because he's the one advocating for us playing games and we're fighting against it, and that's probably right. Exactly. What's wrong with you guys, yeah. <laughs> Michael? What have you been up to this week? Well, I've been just doing a ton of different uh, things for DL and also getting over my sickness and, you know, setting. I've actually been doing a lot of testing for library because we had the interview with library last week and it was very in informative and all kinds of like, you know, how people say make a thing of a joke. Well, like last week, we we're talking about how blockchain was such a complicated thing and that, you know, it takes forever to learn how to. So, so I actually spent a ton of time learning how the blockchain works for library. And uh, I still don't know. So, yeah. um, so that was fun. It's a great story. Yeah, it's a great story. Perfect. By the way, it's L B R Y. Yes, we got people saying they were typing library like you know the whole word into yeah. their browser. So L B R Y. L B R Y. dot tv. dot tech. dot com and not a lot of things, but yeah, check it out. Also, just so you know, people who are saying that they didn't want to, uh, like they didn't, they didn't realize that we're going to be downloading stuff when you use the app image. So if you actually download the desktop version of library, you are going to be participating in the seeding of content like a torrent system or whatever. And if you don't want to do that, you can just use library.tv and just use their website servers and stuff. So it's L-I-B-R-Y.tv? No, L just, there's no vowels, just L-B-R-Y. L-B-R-Y.tv. Correct. There you go. All right, cool. Ryan, what have you been up to this week? So I put a new video out this week testing out MX Linux advanced hardware support. So 
Uh, Dolphin, who's been a friend of the show for a long time. MX is a distro I've loved for a long time. And they decided to kind of, you know, all my whining I do about hardware support in Linux. So they decided to create an advanced hardware support edition, which basically pulls in all the latest kernel modules, all the latest Mesa drivers to enable all the hardware in there and did a video on that, which was a ton of fun. And running it on the new Ryzen 9 3900X machine that I have. So go check that out if you're interested to see how MX runs and was getting some pretty awesome results. You know, the whole glory of gamers, especially console gamers, is to get 60 frames per second. But how if we took Doom 2016, this super intensive graphical game, and pumped it up on all the highest settings, and we're still getting like 170 frames per second in Linux? That would probably be pretty impressive. That's in the video. It's there. It happened. Nice. It's awesome. Nice. See, this is all this is all secret tease to get me uh, hooked on his YouTube channel. I can tell That's it's right. working. <laughs> it's working. So, Noah, what have you been up to? Because I think you have probably the most exciting week. Because while everybody else is secluding themselves, and us geeks are wondering why everyone's freaking out about that, because that's been our lives since we were born, you actually went and became social at an event called Scale, which I think is probably the last event in the United States that's actually <laughs> going to uh, have happened. So how was Scale? No, we're going we're gonna to have self. Come on now. Um, no, it was good. It was really fun. I, I always enjoy Scale. One of my favorite conferences to go to, easily one of the largest Linux conferences in the United States, and um, had a ton of fun, got a ton of great interviews. Man, we talked to so many cool people. We talked to a guy. He is a, a professor that has a different model of a way to go about education. He's trying to make education open source. He's trying to take that education. He's trying to condense that down. And the idea is this. You get into first grade, you walk up, and they, they ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an astronaut. Well, you're not smart enough to be an astronaut. And all of a sudden, your dreams are crushed. So he went to NASA. They did an experiment. They took kids. And they handed them a paperclip. And they said, what things can you come up with the paperclip? Now, this is in kindergarten, first grade. Kindergartners come back, first graders come back. Turns out they have an IQ of well over 160, 170. I mean, they're just pure genius level, right, for what these kids are able to come up with and the, the, the things that they're going to create with this paperclip. Ask them five years later, IQ has dropped significantly. Ask them at adulthood, IQ has dropped. And so the conclusion that, that him and NASA arrived at was most people at one point in their life were geniuses. And what happened? Why did that fade? And, the tr and what they came down to is it boils down to curiosity. Curiosity dies over time because we become embarrassed of curiosity. We become embarrassed to ask questions. We become disenfranchised with the entire education process. And so he's developed a program in which Kids can go, if you want to be a marine biologist, in second or third grade, you can go live on a ship uh, with a marine biologist and you can assist in collecting soil samples and stuff in the bottom of the ocean. And if you want to uh, be an astronaut, you can uh, partner with a program with NASA and you can go grow the hydroponic systems and the food that they take up to the International Space Station. And so that way, when you get into third grade or fourth grade and they say, what do you want to be when you grow up an astronaut? Well, you're not smart enough. <laughs> I've been doing it for the last three years. I think I'm smart enough. You know, that's not what the astronaut told me the other day when I when I grew the hydroponic thing that they took up to the International Space Station. What's up now? That kind of that that kind of you know pairing intelligence and knowledge with with the next generation I think is very powerful. And of course, that's only possible because of open source technology, because of the internet, and because people are willing to give knowledge and and let it be owned by Creative Commons. And so we sat down. We had a big discussion. That interview is coming up this week, and Ask Noah on Tuesdays, as well as the video portion of the interview will be published to our YouTube channel at MindDrip Media. 
so uh, and you know that's just one of many of the cool people we talked to we also talked to a guy um that they're doing hacking simulations so it's a computer pro it's a it's a computer game but the hacks that you do are real life hacks and you learn actual penetration testing and then they have a, they they come to defcon each year and they hold a competition and you can participate in these games and so it's it's a it's a, no you don't need any experience you can just learn to start hacking and you join a community and a group of people that do it for fun and so we we sat down and talked to them and got the information on how people can get started and work with those things connecting with those people and learning what they're doing and the, the kind of new and innovative things that are being brought into the community every single year and then seeing that expand over scale was just a ton of fun absolutely blast man that interview that you're talking about with children just really gets to me because one of the yeah. greatest things of having kids for me was realizing how much as an adult I lost that natural curiosity they have yep. and just watching them get creative and use their imagination. And it's just, it's a whole eye opening experience. If you yes, it is. let it be right. And I think some people get annoyed when their kids are like, why, 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 why? But to me, it fascinated right. me because yeah. I was like, there's so many things I take for granted. that I don't think about every day. And to them, everything's brand new. Everything's an exploration. Everything needs to be, you know, dove into deeper and they love taking things apart, right? The parents complain, the kids break everything because they want to know what's inside. I love getting them and building computers with them and things because they don't have the hand-eye coordination just yet, but the curiosity is there and they do absorb how things work because they'll repeat it back to you weeks later and it's just, it's fascinating. So I love the work that he's yeah, doing you, there. You know, it's funny too, because as, as an adult, I think probably like you, I, when my kids ask questions, if I don't know the answer, I'm like, that's a good idea. Let's see if we can figure it out. Right. And because yep. we have access to the internet, the, uh, like, whereas I would have been told, well, I don't know, you know, eventually my parents, I'd ask them a question that they didn't know the answer to. Like, I don't run into that issue because I have access to the Wikipedia. So I will just look it up and I'll find the answer. Yep. This episode of Destination Linux and the entire Destination Linux network is now sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with their intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewall, load balancers, and so much more. I was working on a project this week at UltraSpeed Technologies. Customer says, hey, we want integration into our internal chat room. They have an internal IRC chat room that they use for, for communicating back and forth with the company. I said, they said, we want to be able to tie that into our server and have it do various things. And turns out one of, one of the guys actually developed a, a, a thing, that a bot that sits inside of the chat room and you're able to control uh, the server and reboot it and start it up and turn it off and stuff like that. And so they have their entire development stack now tied into this chat room. And so that as they're talking about things and they're saying, well, let's reboot this server, they can just type the command right into that chat room and the, and the server does its thing while they're continuing asynchronous communication with their team. It's because of that API. It's because DigitalOcean has said, we don't just want to build the best server infrastructure out there. We also want to build the best server infrastructure that, that can be modeled around whatever the creativity of the, of the individual users are. So you can figure out how to best use that infrastructure. And the best part about this, you can get access to that as well as their world-class customer support for as low as five dollars per month or you can use their flexible pricing structure and get that down to as low as 0.7 cents per hour now why would you want to use 0.7 cents per hour because maybe you need a very powerful server to do one small task like for instance unscrew up your child's minecraft server because he accidentally wrote a command block that 
eats up a bunch of memory. And so you need a super powerful <laughs> server. It sounds Ryan like you're speaking say, from uh, experience. Experience? There, no, yeah. never. In yeah. an unrelated experience, I got my son's Minecraft server, but thanks, DigitalOcean. Ryan might say, <laughs> That's darn near free. DigitalOcean has over 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest open source software. So if you don't know what you want to spin up on DigitalOcean, they do. Just go over and ask them. You can get started on DigitalOcean for two months free along with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. That URL again is do.co slash DLN. Now you want to use that URL because not only will it get you access to that $100 credit, but it also tells DigitalOcean you appreciate them supporting us. So help them help us help us help you help them help us and nice. then you can get started on that digital ocean by going at that hundred dollar credit by going to do.co slash deal and a huge thanks to digital ocean for sponsoring this week of destination linux all right we'll jump into community feedback doug writes in and says hi destination linux team i am one of probably a small minority of linux users vip doesn't mean what you think it means i am a visually impaired person in need of some help Windows 10 is not customizable like Windows 7 was. It is out of the question. I'm currently using an older Mac Mini, can't afford to replace it when it dies. I'm switching to Linux. The only desktop I can use is Cinnamon on Linux Mint. This is okay as it is the only one I have found that I can zoom in and out with the scroll of the mouse wheel. My question, is there a personal assistant type open source software, STT and TTS, available for Linux? Something like Siri or Alexa? If I can find something like this, things at home will be much better for me. Sorry for the long email. Thanks, Doug. Actually, so, I want to stop right there and say that that is not a long email. That is the perfect size email. Yes. Everybody should be like Doug. I agree. <laughs> yeah, so I started doing some research into this when we got the email for Doug. And, you know, the first thing that popped in my head was Mycroft as the personal assistant right. for Linux. So I had set Mycroft up on a Raspberry Pi but I did not know because I just never was something I was researching that you can install it on any system, any laptop and use it as a desktop application. So I did that on one of my Lenovo's and set up Mycroft and had it running in the background, asking it whether, asking it to do various tasks and things. It's not a, the problem with Mycroft right now is it's not a simple process, especially for somebody who's visually impaired to get it set up initially. So you may need some assistance there. And I know there are a bunch of cool apps and things out there that can help visually impaired individuals where you can actually set it up where somebody can, how does it work, Michael? They're on their phone and they can basically see for you and translate what's on the screen to help yeah, the them. Be, be my eyes. I think that's what it's called. Be my oh, eyes. Yeah. 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 So there's cool apps like that that you can utilize that may help you because there was a lot of, and I'm just not familiar enough with how robust the visually impaired tools within Linux are. I've heard some people say there's a lot to be desired. So you may need something like that to initially get it set up. But once it's set up, it just runs in the background. And in fact, at one point, I just laid my laptop on the desk and I asked something that sounded like Mycroft and it popped in and it was like, what's your question? I'm like, "What? who's talking to me? So it's there. <laughs> it's like a Siri. Uh, device there. And of course, it's open source. So that was the only one. There there were a bunch of others that I came across where people had attempted to do something like a personal assistant in Linux, but most of them were deprecated. So I'll, I'll say out to the audience as well, leave your comments or send us emails if you're in a similar situation or have a family member or friend who is, and you found a different solution than Mycroft, but that seemed like the best option. Now, Mycroft is getting better and better, and they're continuing to invest in it. But it's still not something where 
I think you could easily set it up. At least I wasn't able to in my exploring to say, hey, open this app and do these things. I think it can do that stuff. It's just not intuitive in how you set it up. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Minecraft is good, but it, they do need to have, they're still working on it. So it's not, it's not a, you know, a, a complete solution to everything that they're asking for. Uh, but also speech to text and text to speech uh, is a thing that is, you know, depending on what you're doing, you there are solutions. So text to speech, we have Orca screen reader, and it's it allows you to, you know, you, you can do it in the terms of like just selecting text and then run the Orca and it'd be able to tell you things in that sort of sense. But uh, some applications are not, you know, supported on those things. So it's not like a full solution. But in terms of text-to-speech, that would allow you to do that. Uh, Speech-to-text is a lot more different and a lot more difficult because there's not really anything that I know of that has that exact solution. Uh, because personal assistants, you know, that they provide you solu- like services and, they, you know, you could run like these different skill systems, what they're called, that allows you to do certain tasks specifically by saying a command. But speech to text where it actually like dictates what you're saying is a, a different situation that I don't I'm not really aware of anything on Linux to do it. But I do have a solution. And that is KDE Connect, because you can connect your phone to your computer with KD Connect, and it doesn't require you to use KDE Plasma. You can use Cinnamon, and it's fine. But it allows you to use the voice, uh, voice memo, voice recording system on your keyboard, and use that as a speech to text to through KDE Connect to your desktop, and it works really well, especially depending on which keyboard you have, like which service it is using. And I've I've used this for a while, and it's it's actually very convenient in a lot of ways. So I would say that's check a that really out. cool solution. I hadn't thought of, and uh, just do a humble brag here. I wrote the accessibility documentation for Pop OS that Emma uh, may be interested in, but I, I <laughs> that's my publishing there. And Orca is the screen is the tool that I have there under Pop OS documentation to be used right. for screen reading and things like that. But I love that KDE idea, and I need to figure that out with you so that we can get that added into. Yeah. At least Pop OS's accessibility document. Yeah, it was just something I was when I, when they the KDE Connect announced that you could use the keyboard. I was like, oh, I wonder if you could use the voice to. Oh yeah, totally can. Like and and and, that is and really then, cool. Like it's it's a it's really depending on your keyboard, it can be even better. Like um, uh, there's an old keyboard that was available. If you happen to have it, then you're good to go. But uh, there was a dragging dictation keyboard where you could have like the quality of dragging dictation. It's not available anymore because the company who bought that you know, killed it, but it's still, it's really cool that you can use that approach and it, and it's for the most part, depending on, even if you use the Google voice thing, it's still pretty good. And, uh, also I would point out that, uh, there are others like it might mean not be as easy for, cause the suggestion is say he's using cinnamon because of the ability to scroll with the mouse wheel. That is true, but there are some DEs, uh, like for example, I think XFCE and Plasma can do it, but for, for sure Plasma could do it where you just do the super key with the plus and minus, and it allows you to do a similar solution. But the scroll wheel doesn't work, but that does work. So if if you want to use there, that may, maybe that'd be helpful as well. Like a magnif- like being instead of having a magnifying glass like window, the whole thing zooms in, and that That's might be very helpful. Cool. You know, I'll tell you something that that occurs to me. I think it's I think it's a real shame that companies are doing. Are, are making an effort to try to minimize uh, to minimize the the harmful effects of the privacy invasion of of some of these voice assistants. If you are a person that is visually impaired and rely on speech to text 
in order to be able to control your computer, the fact that there's the fact that you have to now consider that you have an additional threat vector against you because of your disability, I think is a pretty sad state of affairs for technology in 2019. Yeah, oh, for you sure. hit the nail on the head there. That, that, that is very true. And you think about it's not just an optional tool for some people. It's a necessary right. tool. And to use that, they have to give away their personal information if they're not utilizing something that's open source like Mycroft. And up next in the community feedback, Will writes in to say, Hi guys, I thought I might add my two cents on these package formats that have come up and discussed on the show. I don't see app images as being in the same class because they are portable applications rather than installed applications. And I use both for very different reasons. Another comment came up about Snap having server installs being an advantage. And personally, I see that as a scope creep. If you want server containers that are already existing solutions like Docker, Podman, and Docker Compose, which will do the job better, I think keeping server and desktop container solutions separate is the way to go because they both have very different requirements for security. Uh, and and he says, by the way, I use Arch. So I love them already. <laughs> so like, so thanks for the email, Will. I think that there's some value to the point of like it's one is portable and one is not because there is like the portability of app images is a pro and a con because the update mechanism is not that simple in terms of you have to know that there's an update. Maybe the application will tell you there's an update, maybe not. You have to subscribe to like an RSS feed or something, whatever. There is, you know, there, there are solutions that they're working on to improve that. But because it's a portable system and it's not a full installed system, it doesn't have that value of being auto updating and that kind of thing. So that that is uh, you know a valid argument there. But I would also uh, say that I think the you know the con the confinement in containing is a different thing because snaps don't really do containment; they do confinement, which is just a nuance, not you know ridiculous thing, right? But it is different because the snaps because they're not a full container; they actually have connection. You can integrate them with various pieces of the system. So there are some benefits that they can do that a containerized system like Docker can't do. So, you know, there are benefits to doing it. And also I love the idea of just, you know, snap install server product service, whatever done versus having to set up a Docker environment then having to get the Docker then having to make sure that the Docker is always up to date and, you know, that then snaps have automatic updates. So I think the server is a value and I wouldn't, uh, I understand that there's some, you know, the, there's scope creep that people could argue about. I would just say that the benefits outweigh the, the negatives. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, the, the, the other side of that, right, is why did Ubuntu become the desktop distribution that it is today? Why does it have the prominence that it does? To, it has today? And I would argue that the exact reason for that is because people could take an operating system, they could install it on their personal desktop, they'd run it, they'd get very comfortable with it. Now they said, oh, I need to go run this as a server. Oh, well, guess what? It's perfectly suited as a server. In fact, it's almost better suited as a server than it is for a desktop environment. Oh, now I need to go make a change. And I want to test something. The fact that you can bounce back and forth and that there is that modularity is what gave Ubuntu its prominence in the cloud. So I would be very cautious of trying to keep a tool inside of an artificial sandbox. If it works, it works, right? If it works on server, why not use it on server? Why, what, why is that a problem? If there's scope creeper, if it if it entirely blows away Podman and Scopio and stuff, and we just say, hey, you know what, D uh, X does it better. I'm not going to say app image or whatever, but just whatever the thing is, if it does it good on both the desktop and the server, why wouldn't we use it there? Yeah, I think people's yeah. fear is that, and and I don't know that I don't share it in at least a little bit that universal packages become where we have 50 of them and nobody really fully dedicates to one, and it becomes right back to 
the same situation we've been in, but we're not there yet, right? We only have three. Well, there's probably more than three, but there's three major ones anyways that are, are out there. You've got your flat packs, your app images, and your snaps. And there are people who don't like any of them. There are people who only like flat packs. There are people who only like snaps. And it's pretty much, well, the Linux community, right? Just like System D, just well, like yeah. X, just like Wayland, just, you know, everybody has their own opinions of what makes them good. I say use the solution that works for you. And if you don't like one of those and you prefer a Docker Podman, then then utilize that. My only thing that I would start getting vocal about is if we start having more universal formats come out because I think we're good with the three. They solve, between the three of them, solve every issue out there that we were looking for with universal packages. So let's just stay there and everybody don't go off and launch your new package because you don't like the way Flatpak does it. Find one of the three and contribute to that and let's bring those three forward. Do you think in a perfect world we would uh, pare down from those three? Yes, absolutely. Three? I think in the perfect world we'd had we would have just had one, right? And and go forward with that. I mean, I just right. worry so much with Linux because its greatest advantage is also its greatest disadvantage. Its greatest advantage yes. is anybody can go out there and fork it and build something new, and that allows us customization and then unique views and all this stuff. But it also fragments the heck out of the community. That's right. And That's right. it fragments our ability to actually get companies and things to take Linux seriously. 100%. Yeah, I, I think that the idea that the, the formats are going to get worse is, is just not likely because like the, the reason why the formats were problematic in the before we had the universal stuff was not because there were so many. It's because they had no interoperability. And you even to their own distro, like Debian packages doesn't not just because it's a Debian package doesn't mean it's going to work on every version of Debian because they have the dependency locking issues like th th those those had the problems. Even, you know, people were trying to solve all these different solutions, these things, but they never even addressed the interoperability problem. And that's because the traditional packaging structure is just flawed in terms of being able to have continuous updates and stuff like that. And I think that the universal formats, they all basically came out, you know, in a rough area at the same time. Uh, app images have been around the longest, uh, but they they changed their name like three times. And that's why people don't really remember like they were around when they were, they were called click patch packages, you know, uh, 10 years ago. And we have the snaps and flat packs, but they solve different. So they have different solutions for different approaches. And I, I think that those things are so big right now that there's not likely anybody's going to fork them because they they have you know they have a market that really doesn't imply that there's a need for another well, see, I, I disagree because i'll give you an example turns out universal packages aren't so universal as we thought you use mx linux it uses sys v in it you're not going to be able to use snaps because it requires system d so you have different things out right and that's why flat packs already fractured boom yeah, so now you can only use right flat pack. So, but if somebody wants to use snaps there, then they decide, well, maybe I'll fork it so it works with sysv and it. You know, you know what I'm saying? Well, like, Universal's never going to be a thing. Like, there's, there's, I agree with that, except for there's never going to be a universal anything. Like, that's just not possible. So, you will try to make it as universal as possible. And I think well, you snaps just crushed my packs. dreams. <laughs> well, I just don't think it's. I don't think there's ever going to be a single one because people are never going to agree with who makes what and whatever. Uh, but I also think that... I don't that, know if that's entirely true. Well, I mean... I think... I, I Well, here... So imagine this, right? We, we, we skate five, ten years down the road, and we've gotten to a point where either Canonical decides to, to let up the reins on the whole Snap package thing, and all of a sudden you have competing Snap stores that have come out and competing Snap, and there's, there's maybe a fork, whatever it is, and 
or Red Hat just really doubles down and really just just piles in uh, behind flat packs, right? And and they they have like a fancy store and they have a fancy UI and like the whole nine yards or whatever. I think you skate down there and eventually you get to a point where there's going to be the path of least resistance. And if we get to a point where people just look and go, listen, I could package my thing, but here's the thing. They have this whole infrastructure set up. I just take the code, I drop it into this little IDE thing. I click on this button and it publishes out and essentially apposize the, the, the Linux software. I think there's a possibility we arrive on a single standard. Yeah. I, 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 I love think, the I mean, idea that's what that you're, D, you're right? dreaming that um, Red Well, no, because you just gave an example could, where people don't use system D. Are, are going to dump their... Yeah, but very, very few resources right. no, no, no. there's a lot packages. of distros that don't like it there's a lot but also i, 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 I system d basically has won you know so the argument of like oh you know system d like we don't want system d is like uh, you're gonna eventually not have a choice because it's just it's taking over that degree right. but but it's bloated but what, michael it breaks the code philosophy of yes yeah. something that we had from a foundation once He's, that said okay. it. you're referring to the unix philosophy and yes. if, if my, my interject for a moment, what you're referring to as Unix is actually, actually Unix. anyway, um, the, 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 the system D problem is only a problem because people don't really fully get what system D is for. They, they're like, oh, it's an init system and it does too much. No, it's not. It's a, it's a fundamental piece that has a ton of different features, like that has encryption features. It has journaling stuff. It has all kinds of things. It's not just an init system. So the people who are bothered by, I want to use SysV in it, not system D is like, you need to look more into what system D is for, but at the same time, you know, the majority of the biggest distros are already using system D. So it doesn't like it's terms of like, is system D going to take over? It already has. It is what it is. Uh, but the, I think the universal formats, they don't really need to have a single universal solution or one standard. I would say that that's a definitely a, a there would be good for that to happen. But I don't think it's good. it's a necessary thing to do because uh, you know they all work together. They're all interoperable. We don't have to worry about conflicts because they have their own containment system and they all have this nice structure of you know whatever you want to use, you can use it. And I think that that kind of makes it where if one doesn't work for you use something else. I'll tell you what I do. I use them all. I don't care. I just look for if if the package has one available, it's an app, it's a flat pack, it's a snap. Don't care. I'm going to install it and use it to get my work done. Totally agree. We love hearing from our worldwide community. We have many ways for your voice to be heard. You can send us a short email or video that will be incorporated into the show. Send your video links or emails to comments at destinationlinux.org. So this week, we're going to have a discussion about something that I think is pretty interesting, and that is why Firefox is the best browser, period. Okay, wait. No, it says Brave. We're going to talk about Brave Browser. Okay. So we've received some questions over the last few months from the community asking our thoughts on Brave. We also noticed that some email signatures have say that Brave is the new Firefox and stuff like that. So let's discuss it overall. So why do we not talk about, you know, the Brave Browser? Uh, you know, what what is your opinion on the Brave Browser and that kind of thing? And also, why is Firefox the best? Wow, I don't know. I don't know that we're not biased there by putting in why is Firefox. Well, well not we're the not best. biased. That's, I mean, that, that'd be ridiculous. I'm biased as a group. We're not biased. <laughs> all right, let's bring in somebody we know hasn't uh, had our bias and see what they think. Emma, what is your thoughts on what browser do you use? Please don't say Chrome. I use Firefox. Nice. Okay. Well, the bias is clear that we're probably all going to be pro <laughs> Firefox here. But yeah. here's. I haven't tried Brave yet, but I see I see based on the features for me, it doesn't really seem like it would 
benefit me any more than Firefox would. That's a good point. I mean, for me, I'm happy to hear anybody's not using Google Chrome, right? That that there is the step in the right direction. The next best thing from that direction would be Chromium. And then for all the super intelligent people out there, you're looking for something even more safe, secure, and focused on privacy in a company that has a good track record of being focused on privacy and security. And I think that falls into Firefox territory there. And there are other derivatives, Waterfox, and I'm sure we'll get a billion you know, comments about utilize this weird named thing that somebody built in their basement or whatever. And there are a lot of great browsers out there for that. But I think when you're talking about mainstream, you're at Firefox, you're at Chrome, so, and uh, Chrome-based browser. I'd be happy to take the other side of this. I, I feel like Brave sets itself apart because of their privacy storage policy of user data, right? They keep it all locally. There is no, like Firefox, even Firefox, as respectful as they are about privacy, I mean, they still have things like Firefox Sync, right? And and Pocket and all those kinds of things. My understanding is, and go ahead and correct me if I'm wrong, is Brave is specifically designed as the kind of browser that you open up and you use and then you close it and then you're done with that session. And my understanding is that their design mentality or their philosophy comes from a case back when the celebrity hack occurred in which the guy goes in, he takes a bunch of celebrity photos, leaks them on the internet, clears his browser history and was later charged for that. Now, the important part there was at the time that he cleared his browser history, nobody knew who he was. He hadn't been charged with a crime yet. And so the legal precedent that it set was it can be illegal to erase your browsing history even if you haven't committed a crime and even if you haven't been charged for a crime and even if you don't know that you're going to be charged for a crime, at any point in time, it could technically be illegal to dump your your history and 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 the data that's stored about you. And so using a, a browser that by default doesn't store anything alleviates that alleviates that concern. So I guess if we're going to compare Brave to Firefox and we're going to have that discussion, I, I feel like that's kind of how we should frame it is that's what they set out to do was to be the ultimate privacy. We don't store things about you. Yeah, and I think that's where I was getting at is that I am happy if, if you use Brave and you're not using Google Chrome and you're not utilizing Chrome, you know, any Google based products and things. I think that's a much better step. And now we're just talking about out of the two privacy-focused mainstream options out there, Brave and Firefox, which one do you prefer and which one has better features? Personally, why I do not use Brave, I switched to Brave for a while. One of the things that annoys me about Firefox is the opt-out privacy settings when you install Firefox. All of the, you know, basically sharing information and everything is turned on by default. And I think that is pretty crappy for a company that presents itself as the most privacy-focused browser out there. And Brave does not do that. You know, Brave has built-in ad and track blocker. It, you know, has its own Tor integration in privacy mode, which Firefox added later on, but they were one of the first ones to have that. My issue was when I use their sync tool, because they have a sync tool as well, it utilizes this weird first, it'll generate some long paragraph that you have to type in to sync it with another system to sync your bookmarks and things like that, which was fine. It was annoying. And it took much longer than a passcode or something, but it is what they designed. And I'm sure there's some security reasons for it. But one point I did that and it pulled in somebody else's bookmarks. It was a full set of folders and bookmarks and everything from somebody else's computer. And at that point, 
I stopped using Brave and took it off my machine. I've never gone back to it. So, but that doesn't mean that that just could have been some weird anomaly that, you know, the two paragraphs that were generated were close enough or something happened in the background. Maybe I messed something up, but that was enough for me to basically take Brave off my machine and not use it again. But I'm still happy that people use Brave over using, say, Chrome. Yeah, I'm having a mistake or something that happens in the sync. You know, it's, you know, that's not good, but it's better than Chrome where it actively, like proactively takes your data as much as it possibly can, like, a, you know, siphoning it from you as much as, it, you know, the, yeah, the time exactly. you use it. So there is, you know, it's, that's a understandable reason why you would want, not want to use it. But also, you know, if they can fix that sort of stuff, that's not the goals that they have are still, you know, ideal in the sense of like privacy and, you know, tracking blocking. Uh, there's, I think brave is one of the better browsers in terms of like chromium based browsers. I don't really like chromium based browsers because uh, anything that's, you know, using chromium has that Google backing, even though they don't, you know, they're like, well, I don't use Chrome because that's Google. Well, chromium is still Google because Google makes chromium and therefore anything that is using chromium actually is helping Google get more and more dominance on the web. And I don't like that because Google has shown many cases where when they get dominance, they take advantage of it as much as possible. And I don't like that kind of approach. That's one of the reasons I don't even care about using a Chromium-based browser. But I also like Firefox for a variety of different other reasons. So it's not like I'm just saying I don't want to use it because I'm using it because I don't like Chromium. I just like I like Firefox anyway. But I do think that of all the Chromium-based browsers, Brave is up there at the top of the options because of the the fact that they are focused on privacy so much. And I didn't even know about the Tor integration in the privacy mode. That's pretty cool. But I also think that there are some issues that they have that I don't really like the basic action token, the bat system, because there was times where, you know, creators were put on the platform prior to actually, you know, wanting to be on the platform. Someone just said, I want to give someone this creator, this bat token, and they automatically set them up as having an account on the thing where, and it, and it made it seem like you were giving money to these people, even though they, those people had nothing to do with it and had no idea it was even happening. So like they, they have addressed this problem but that is a problem that is a, a thing that that needs to be taken into consideration prior to even issuing this kind of token system. So I, I think that that's one of the things that Brave has a lot of potential and they have the you know good intentions, but they don't look at every aspect of the things that they're implementing until something pops up in their face, like the sync problem you had and the bat system that they had with like that kind of thing is just problematic. To I me. think the Google standard bothers me the most, right? If they own the standard for how websites right. are generated, how yes. websites are displayed yes. and everybody's going in this Chromium route, it just puts us in a really bad spot, I think, for having any competitive edge against them. You know, once Microsoft Internet Explorer, whatever they called it, their Edge browser went Chromium yeah. as well. Firefox is pretty much the last mainstream thing left out there that's not Chromium-based uh, with their Echo engine, or Gecko engine, that is. Uh, you know, I, there, I think if you sat down, you could come up with reasons to not like either of these options. But that, out of everything, plus my one experience, is why I choose Firefox. But if you're using Brave, keep using it, enjoy it if that's the, the one for you. But, you know, take a look at Firefox again because you'd be surprised how good they've gotten if if your experience with Firefox in the past was because it was slow or 
you know, just didn't seem to render things correctly. Most of those issues that I've had with Firefox in the past have been resolved in the latest iterations of it. Let me ask you this. If you guys had to choose, and ladies, had to choose a Chrome, a Chromium engine-based browser, what would you choose? Here's why I asked that question. As much as I like Firefox and as much as I really, really hope that Firefox succeeds, let's face it, we are in a 90-10 race, right? 90% of the entire world is going to be using the Chrome rendering engine, whether we like it or not. And the remainder is going to be split up by Firefox and, and, and all the others. So if you had to choose a Chromium-based browser today, what would it be? I would probably utilize Brave, honestly, I if I had to choose. Phone. I'd probably go with Vivaldi, just because Vivaldi is more closer to what Firefox offers in terms of features. And, um, you know, they're doing innovative things that I like. And I think Brave is also a really great option. I just prefer, you know, because with the privacy the stuff that Brave, you, you do in Brave with the automatic privacy stuff, you can just add those things in other browsers. So I would be more focused on having the features that I want. And I think Vivaldi's closer. I would probably cool. just go straight Chromium or give Brave a try. Yeah. Cool. So that, that's a good question. And I also, you know, I, I, I like that, the fact that we're like talking about what would we use if it isn't Firefox. But just to be clear, it is Firefox. Right. And I'm the same way. I, I'm I'm the same way. I will use <laughs> Firefox till it's dead till it's dead inside of the ground. But I mean, let's face it. I, I think we have to prepare ourselves, and I think it, we owe it to the people that listen to us and listen to our opinions to acknowledge the fact that hey, five years down the road, when X Y Z company pops up and starts making widgets, they're going to be testing the heck out of how it renders in Chrome, and they're not going to be testing the heck out of how it renders in Firefox because. 90% of their customers are going to come to them on some on either Microsoft Edge, which yeah. is Chrome, Google Chrome, which is Chrome, Chromium, which is Chrome. Like, I mean, we just need to be prepared for those kinds of things. I keep Chrome installed specifically because there's some sites that just don't work well inside of Firefox. And so while I think it's important to advocate for companies like Mozilla and Firefox that are doing it right and at the moment have very competitive feature sets and are very compelling browsers to use, I think it's also important to keep our eye on what the industry is doing and making decisions based on the best experience for people. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I don't want to, I don't like it acknowledging that the Google is taking over in terms of standards, but it is, it is doing that. And I, cause I just don't want it to be true, but it is true. And it, it's taking us back into like, you know, this website is best viewed in internet explorer, 1997, stupid messages and people not like taking consideration of like, like I've actually seen things now where this site is best viewed in Google Chrome. It's like, uh, go away. Your your best web your website is not is not best viewed in anything because it shouldn't be viewed because you're doing that. And <laughs> I I think that there's you know I get that that's becoming a thing. And I do it uh, say that I actually do have Vivaldi installed when I need something that's based that requires Chrome. Oh, Chromium so engine. you're you're basically a traitor to Firefox. We've learned something new on the show. I, I I'm as a web designer, I kind of need to have support to make sure stuff works. You're a traitor. So I'm basically. actually the I'm the so. opposite of that. I'm the one who wants to make sure that everybody's inclusive. You're welcome. You know what Noah does when somebody comes to him and says, "Hey, I want to use a Windows solution instead of Linux." He says, "I don't want your money," and he kicks him to the curb. That's how a true passionate person handles. And now Noah will say, project. "That's not true." What? So Noah? Oh, that's true. Roundhouse kick that gets in there too. A roundhouse kick, Ooh, yeah. right into the head, yeah. Now, our patrons want to know why we're not talking about Safari, and I know Noah is a very, very uh, huge fan of Safari and an expert as a Apple Mac owner in Safari. So what are your thoughts on the privacy of Safari? 
my my thoughts are of the MacBook that you sent me in the mail that I I'm supposed to use now as a as a job requirement for hosting Destination Linux um, is that uh, it sucks and uh, has terrible feature sets and nothing How renders correctly and also the maximize doesn't work you you maximize it like takes over the full screen because Apple yeah well that's a feature yeah. you just don't know how to use yeah. it right oh, you have to hold your right. phone differently right Come on man right yeah. I'll you can teach me sometime yeah. Firefox 74 was released. Here's another reason you may want to use it as your main browser. The latest version includes features like the ability to import bookmarks from the Microsoft Edge browser, uh, the ability to remove external add-ons from the add-ons manager. It has a Facebook container, um, including Facebook logins, likes, and comments are automatically blocked on non-Facebook sites. And Firefox now provides better privacy for your web, voice, and video calls through support for MDNS and ICE by cloaking your computer's IP address with a random ID in certain WebRTC scenarios, along with a lot of bug fixes and under-the-hood improvements. And things to look forward to in Firefox 75 is that it's getting a flat pack version soon. Nice. And this will be the first stable version of the browser as a flat pack. So you can try the beta out right now. Mozilla has no plans to drop the binary version, but Flatpak lovers will have something to look forward to. Yeah, it's very it, cool. It's features like this that just keep me, you know, on board with Firefox. I love. Are you Facebook referring to specifically to the Microsoft Edge browser import bookmarks? Well, yeah, because now I can take all my Windows machines and port. <laughs> I, I, no, I do think that's a nice uh, shot across uh, Microsoft's yeah, bow there good, for, for their sure. Edge browser move. You know, you get that import feature working. You can easily transition back to it, especially since, as I understand it, when you search for Firefox or something, Microsoft saying, hey, have you tried our new Edge browser as an advertisement for yeah, it? Something they, along those lines. That, yeah. Facebook container, I think, is one of the greatest features. Personally, I wish everybody would just get rid of Facebook. I mean, it is the privacy disaster, the armpit of the internet, and needs to go away. It's like once you access it from any browser, you're like forever logged in is how yeah. it feels. It mm-hmm. feels gross. People feel like they close it down and they're done. But the reality is it puts forever cookies on your machine and is tracking everything you're doing. And the sites that have the you know Facebook connect logins or Facebook likes integrated into them is tracking you just from that alone. So it, it's mm-hmm. basically showing every website that you've been to that has any of those Facebook integration items tracking you, even if you don't have Facebook tab open. It's also it worth take- noting that even if you don't have a Facebook account, it's still tracking you because they create shadow profiles based on people who like are technically yep. not, you know, they're not, they don't know your name, but they know a lot about you anyway. The creepiest thing that ever happened was I was I was sitting with somebody who didn't have Facebook and 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 apparently that it was what ha- was happening with it was this shadow profile and when they created a Facebook profile all of their suggested friends were all the people that they were looking their public profiles up on Facebook and that was one of those moments when I went huh even without an account they know who their friends are yeah yep. so I mean That's- I kind of terrifying. It would be nice if Facebook went away, but if you're going to use Facebook for some strange, odd reason, then at least use Firefox and put it in a container to at least attempt to control. And I say attempt because Facebook spends millions and millions of dollars with people who are hackers. They love hiring hackers to figure out ways around all of these blocks and stops and things constantly. So while I love that Firefox is investing time in this, I have no doubt that Facebook is probably finding ways around it to still create 
profiles and fingerprint people and get information, oh, yeah. but at least it's doing something to make it more difficult for them and waste their energy uh, trying to steal all of your personal info. Yeah. And I also point out that it's Facebook container is an add on. It doesn't come with default with Firefox, but the, but Mozilla does create the Facebook container. So that's why that it's, it's in the new releases uh, because it's not there by default, but you can get it. And uh, the, the, I would say get the container system anyway, because the con- container tab system is fantastic. And one of the best reasons to probably, in my opinion, the best reason to use Firefox, because it's just, it's just so awesome. Now there are also, you know, good reasons in terms of privacy and everything too, but like as far as feature wise, that is amazing. And the fa- the Facebook container now actually adds a new feature where it, it, it always had this thing where if you typed in a, a, any Facebook owned website, it would automatically pull you into the container. And then when you left that, con- that website, it would pull you out of the container on like f- to make sure that it was, that it pulls you away as much as possible to m- the limit their ability to do it. But uh, there was also sometimes where you might want to use Facebook logins and stuff on a particular website that is, you know, something you also don't trust, but you're, you know, you need it. You want to connect it to Facebook for some reason or whatever. They made it possible. Now you can add custom website domains into the container. So it will automatically pull you in on those as well, which I, I think is a really cool idea because mm. it makes it a lot easier to consolidate all that nonsense into one thing where you can provide as little as possible and uh, avoid the shadow profiles and stuff. Nice. I mean, they'll, if you use it at all, you'll still get shadow profiles, but you know, at least it won't be able to follow you. Zoran OS 15.2 has been released with the interviews we've had recently. We've missed the announcements of the new Zoran OS 15.2. This is not just another iterative update release. Rather, it looks like the Zoran team is starting to pick up some hardware enablement. This release includes support for AMD Navi GPUs, including the Radeon RX 5700, the Intel 10th generation processors, and newer MacBooks and MacBook Pro keyboards and touchpads. There you go, Noah. I have I, I was just going to say, I have to stop here and ask if you are one of the, this is a serious question I get from time to time. If you are on one of the new MacBook Pros, the one with the fancy little touch bar and stuff, is this an operating system that people can install and have their MacBook work out of the box? Yeah, I've heard that they were able to work around it, although it was very hacky within a couple of months of it releasing, um, you know, be able to get other OSs installed and get some of this stuff functioning. So it looks like more and more, people are being able to work around the blocks that Apple has put into their machines to attempt to make it so that nobody can put any other OS but Mac OS on there, which is very fascinating to me considering they deprecate their operating system after like four years, four to six years, I believe. And right. It's because they don't care about repair. They care about, or they want replacements. So they want you to buy more. They want you to go out and rebuy a new one. So from a repairability standpoint alone, I think MacBook and MacBook pro has lost all respect from anybody in the community. And I know, Noah, it's been a little bit of something that's bugged you. We joke about it, um, that you use Mac and stuff, but it's bugged you that when we go to self every year, the sheer amount of MacBooks around the conference is shocking to see. You know, I yeah, you know, I, I have to be honest with you. I I do see I do see a lot of them at the at the um, 
like scale like for sure, Linux but I don't think concept self, the word, yeah, scale and 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 Linux. Oh, so maybe that's and, what you were Oscar. talking about, wasn't self? Yeah. When I walk around self, I don't see a lot of MacBooks. I mean, like every once in a while, you'll have the marketing people that come out for one of the training companies, and they'll be given a MacBook. But the vast majority of the people that are there are either on ThinkPads or if they are running a MacBook, that's a MacBook that has Linux on it. Um, I, I mean, and we can count this year because, as I say, I believe scales itself is going to happen. Um, yeah, I, I feel like at the smaller community fests, the vast majority of people there are running um, uh, Linux on their computers. In fact, one of them is uh, is, 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 is 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 friends of the show that um, that work over at GitLab and GitLab. Um, they issue MacBooks for their salespeople as, as kind of a one-off default. But the reality is that there's plenty of people that we know at GitLab that have gone to them and said, hey, listen, I use Linux to get my work done. I'm selling Linux. I have Linux products. I live on Linux desktop. This is what I want. And they went, okay, here's a ThinkPad. Um, and they support that because that's just kind of the, that's kind of the well, way I they roll. I think in but, fairness, too, the older MacBooks were fantastic for running Linux. So, you I know, if, if they had, first of all, they were one of the first ones to come out with nice aluminum unibody shells. They had great screens and you could load another operating system on it as easily as any other laptop. It's the newer iterations where basically they said, hey, no, we have to brick this thing after a certain amount of time. So we get another $3,000 for this overpriced piece of junk. And so we're not going to allow you to even do that piece of it. And that's where I think a lot of frustration has come in. However, you know, sure. the great thing and amazing thing about the Linux community is if you put a roadblock in their way and say, you can't do this on our system, what's the first thing the Linux community is going to go out there and do? They're going to hack it. They're going to figure out a way to get around it. Not because they're necessarily going to go buy one, just because they want to prove to you that they can break the millions of dollars of research and money that you spent into trying to block somebody from doing it with, you know, after hours work uh, for fun on Saturdays. And so that's probably more so what this is geared towards to anything else. And I know, Emma, you don't have any bias in this at all. What, what type of laptops would you like to see around conferences? <laughs> um, I would like to see a sea of System76 laptops, yeah. of course. <laughs> Naturally. Because you when don't I have go to, to hack Linux on those. Northwest, there's like a lot of System76 laptops. So that's pretty nice. That's got to feel good to go around there and see that. Yeah, it does feel good. So, you know, it's worth noting, though, while I applaud Zorn OS and I really like some of the things that they're doing, that the Radeon 5700 came out eight months ago now, and we're still struggling to get support for it on major distributions like Ubuntu and Debian-based distributions, which Zorn, of course, OS is one of. And so to announce it, while I'm excited that they're finally, you know, looking at the hardware enablement pieces, including with the Intel 10th gen processors that... You know, this has been a long, long road, eight months to finally say, okay, now we support this thing. And that is an area that I will continue to get on a soapbox about and say, I'm glad you finally got it. But maybe eight months was, is, is a little long of a stretch to say, now we support this hardware. So my hope is, because the 10th gen is not even out yet for Intel, that Zorn will, you know, or any major distro for that matter, will pick up this mantle and say, hey, we're going to look at getting the hardware enablement that's already built into the kernel. You don't even have to write something new. You don't have to go, you know, go tell people, go write it yourself if you want it, because it's already there baked in the kernel and just pull that in. And so that people can actually, who are coming into Linux with new equipment or people who've been with Linux for a long time and they've got a 15-year-old laptop and today happens to be the day they're going to go buy a new piece of equipment and they pick up that new Ryzen laptop that they'll actually be able to use it in Linux because that would be pretty cool. 
Yeah, I think that I, I don't think that Zorin's likely to do it because I think they're based on LTS. So they basically are getting hardware support when Ubuntu provides that, and uh, you know that's that's one of the reasons why it's, it takes a while because of the whole six month release cycle thing. Uh, but I do want to point out that. Uh, you know, Pop OS is, is something that I, I want to talk about anyway, just because, you know, I want to talk about the, the, the pop shell having tiling and stuff, but we'll get to that in a second. But I do want to point out that Pop OS was the, you know, that they still, they, they have the different sections for AMD and NVIDIA. And I think that that, that approach is if of all the different operating systems that are meant for being, you know, easy access to people, they have a very good approach to the hardware support. And I just want to. And, and I will know, mention they that. were the first ones to overcome the boot issue with the new Ryzen CPUs, which is why my my I took it upon myself to say, "Hey, I want to contribute something to Pop OS," which is why I wrote the accessibility documentation back then. For it was right after that, I thought it was just fascinating. But somebody needs to pick up that mantle in Linux because it, it's I think it's hurting the community. I've been reading studies. You know, this isn't about AMD fanboyism because there's a lot of things. But I was reading about studies of AMD taking thirty percent of the market. They used to be ten. People mm-hmm. were coming. It's not. It's not like this is some small little niche product that people are going to need support for. This is a major platform that we're not supporting for until eight months later on the distros that we have come out and said. The reason why everybody uses Ubuntu, the reason I went to Ubuntu when I first came into is because of the amazing support for the hardware they had. It worked on everything. I think it's a big miss, and I'm hoping we get we see some cool stuff fixed. And, and Popey was teasing me, I think, in, in Telegram chat over something coming in 2004, potentially about some more hardware testing and enablement and stuff. So I'm hoping to get some more facts on that and see how that kind of builds out. So I'm, I'm hoping there's movement in this direction because I think it's important for Linux adoption to be able to support this new hardware. But I applaud, even if it's eight months late, Zorn doing anything in this arena to start picking up the hardware support out there. I also want to thank Zorn for giving out free copies of Zorn Ultimate to those who donated during our free geek campaign, which was really cool. So that right there gets some mad props as well um, that they were able to do that and help bring donations for a charitable event. So thank you to the Zorn OS team and 15.2 looks pretty cool. Yeah. Ryan, let me ask you this. Do you think the ability f- or the the onus to push to newer hardware comes down more on the software manufacturer, the hardware manufacturer? I ask that because of this. If I'm the if I'm Zorn OS, right? There's a limit to how fast when when Apple comes out with their new laptop that they didn't talk to us about with hardware that they didn't tell us what was going to be in it on a timeline that wasn't shared with us uh, with hardware we've never seen before or used before. And now all of a sudden it's out and it's in Best Buy and the clock is ticking. And with my group of volunteer developers that I pay for out of my pocket, I have to try to get support for this operating system as fast as possible. Don't we need to cut these guys, software manufacturers, a little bit of slack in that if we, they were working with open hardware and had access to the specifications like Apple does when they make Mac OS, it'd be a different story to be able to say, hey, day one, we should have, you know. They do have access to it. I mean, AMD, for instance, is putting it into the kernel. It's their thing that I keep hearing is, well, you know, they they put that patch in and it was right before we released our LTS and we're in, in, there were there were ways to fix this, the hardware enablement stack, for instance. It's just so slow in between. And I get that, look, Ubuntu, and I use Ubuntu because they self-proclaim and are the biggest distribution out there for Linux. So people saying, why are you giving heat on Ubuntu? Because they're the biggest. They say they're the biggest, so they're the ones I'm looking at the most. 
is that they have hardware enablement stack capabilities. It's just, it's so slow in between that, that it doesn't help anything. You know, I think that somebody has to care about hardware. I think when you're dealing with this community, when you're looking at half of the, the server partnerships that AMD has, you're looking at Intel as well, because they're heavy in open source. I love Intel. People think I'm just an AMD fanboy. Intel does amazing things for open source. They've got new generations of things coming out. The competition is heating up. Linux has to be able to quickly adapt to the hardware out that's coming out. We, For the first time, if you look at the Linux kernels for the last 12 months, I have never, in my four years of being in Linux, seen more kernel releases that have more hardware enablement, like Logitech keyboards, mouses, Wacom tablets. It's not just AMD and Intel, by the way. It's lists of manufacturers now putting their drivers into the kernel, except if you're on a what they call stable distribution, you're not going to see that for six to eight months. You're not going to have that thing enabled for six to eight months. It becomes practically useless. It's great for the idea of what Linux was. Linux was this thing that revitalized old hardware that people would go and buy a 10-year-old laptop. They put Linux on it. Oh my gosh, it runs like it's brand new and it's super fast again. That's what our world of Linux was built around. That was what, when I started my channel, what I thought Linux was and that I wanted to see if it ran on the latest, greatest in hardware. That's how I got started was based on that rumor because that's what I believed Linux was. You take old hardware, you revitalize it. Now we have this new community of excited people like Linux for Everyone's bringing in all these people that have hardware and have the ability to purchase this new stuff and cutting edge equipment. We run Linux on the latest supercomputers, but we don't have hardware enablement in our biggest distros out there. And it's frustrating. Eight months to get Radeon RX 5700 running. I mean, come on, like you, you can't, you can't say that's okay. So there's the solution that has to be formed though, to your point, right? The, the manufacturer has to be able to partner and get their stuff in, in, in time in a reasonable manner but also the distros are going to have to partner with the hardware manufacturers to say, how do we get this closer relationship or how do we figure out a way to integrate this better? And if Ubuntu came back and said, hey, we've gone to AMD 15 times to try to fix this and they keep telling us no, believe me, my story would completely change. But that's not the message I get back. The, the drivers are all out there. They're in the kernel. Nobody's pulling them down. That's the problem. Well, System76 tries to get our hands on hardware. We have really great relationships with AMD and NVIDIA and Intel, and we get our hands on the hardware before it's released, and we start testing right away and make any changes that we can to make sure that we can launch the new hardware as early as possible. And look what that created. You were the first company that I could actually take the Ryzen 9 3900X with the next 570 motherboard and run Linux on it. Not one other distro, not Arch, not the Debian base, nothing could boot my machine except Pop! OS. That relationship that you formed was the important piece, I think, into being able to accomplish that so that at the moment when the market was most excited, because let's, let's face it, AMD is the most exciting thing out there right now in the CPU market, in the geek market, in the hardware market. I was able to release a video showing Linux running on state-of-the-art hardware because of Pop! OS and the relationship they had. And that, to me, is important when you talk about marketing. I mean, Michael, you, you have to have an opinion. That's when you bite the most. That's when every YouTuber releases their videos and everything is right yeah, at the moment that hardware releases, not yeah. eight months later to say, hey, look, uh, eight months later, I can run Linux on my machine. That's not exciting. Yeah, anybody. The, when 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 the new hardware came out and the support and the support was like I think only one LTS distro was like I think Ubuntu LT eighteen oh four was supported by AMD because it was the only thing they tested. 
And it was like, that's not, that's not, because if you want up to date, mostly anything, you can't use that, you know, the LTS approach. So if you wanted anything else, you're kind of stuck to either using that. And then Papa West comes out and fixes it. So it was like, well, it provides an option anyway to implement. That is something that it's important to focus on, you know, the, the positives of like what distributions and that are actually doing this like Papa West. And that is fantastic. And I also wanted to kind of talk about the, you know, the pop, the Papa West uh, tiling thing that I mentioned earlier. And because I'm a big fan of tiling, but I also, I want to heard of this. What has Papa West done here? Okay. So pop shell is going to be our new, it's a gnome extension and it's kind of like I three. So if, if you want to try it out, um, it'll be available in 2004, but right now it's, I think it's pretty solid. If you want to give it a shot right now, um, it's on GitHub, but basically the tiling is, is so smooth. And I feel like it's more advanced with shortcuts than any other window manager that I've seen, but just the automatic resizing of windows and setting the tiling up is, is just so smooth and easy that everyone's going to Everyone's going to switch, I think. By the way, I run Pop OS. By the way, I run Pop OS. Nobody wants to know. <laughs> what, what was the what was the what was the reason for for incorporating that? Was it what were you trying to reach to shut developers? And is that something that you heard? <laughs> was that something you heard from developers that they that they were they wanted tiling window manager style stuff? Yeah, I think um, some of our developers use the the i3 workspace, but Carl has like this very large monitor. And so he was noticing that when he would open new windows that it just, it sets up kind of weird. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make the most of the space on the screen and it's not as effective as far as productivity goes. So they made it to be more productive with shortcuts um, and to fit on larger monitors better. Nice. Awesome. And I, I, th- I think so it's great cool. that they're doing it also to shut up Ryan. It's fantastic. That's a good reason <laughs> to stick to. That's why they did the hardware <laughs> enablement too. They're like, well, he shut up. We added it. Leave <laughs> us alone. Well, Carl showed me uh, the progress uh, like a week ago and I, I got goosebumps on my arm. I was like so surprised that that we were sitting in a meeting a couple of weeks before and they're like, what should we call this new window thing? Like, um, it's like a shell, like a pop shell. And it was kind of funny because I felt like that was the very early stages, but then they showed all this progress just two weeks later. And now where it's come from it, or where it's at now is just, it, it makes your hair stand up. It is just so amazing that we created something this cool. Yeah, I mean, that is pretty cool. A lot of people who are GNOME fans do want, like, because they, there's a lot of people who went from i3 to GNOME and because they wanted like an out of the box polish thing, but they missed the i3 value. And, you know, Pop OS doing that is fantastic because it allows you to have. The best My loyalty could be bought and it sounds like Pop OS is buying it. But, uh, (laughs) I'm telling you, that's, those are some fire (laughs) features right there. It's good. It's real good. Love it. (laughs) See, I, so thanks for letting us know about that. And also, when is the Plasma edition of Pop OS coming out? Um, <laughs> never. Oh, wow. they only listen to me, oh, Michael. Goodness. If I asked for it, you would get it. See, we got i3, we got hardware enablement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try, but just, I refuse to ask for it. No, no, no. You, you need you need to do that so that they'll 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 make Ryan shut up again yeah. about stuff. So make, so go. That's stuff. how they start their meetings at System seventy six. All right, uh, how do we make Ryan shut up? <laughs> So let's talk about AMD some more because we haven't talked about it enough. 
Uh, AMD is accelerating their Linux development. He writes development. this show. I swear, uh, it's like a fanboy or something. <laughs> it's like right that guy here. has has uh, has some inside. He's trying to send a message. Yeah, he's just <laughs> trying to get the list focus more on. Like, it's just, it just seems well. In order to shut Ryan up in his show notes, let's talk about AMD. So, <laughs> uh, so AMD's in the news this week for ramping up their open source driver quality in Linux. And while AMD is praised for its work like Intel is open sourcing its drivers, it often receives criticism for the quality of drivers, especially and on so. like on the yes, on the launch of new products. And it's not just because of certain support or whatever. It's also that even when there is support, it's not always the best drivers. But it is cool that eventually the drivers get better and better, which is good and also kind of not good, because you know, you have by default again support quickly, it's better. But to put a cherry on top of this newfound commitment, AMD has posted some job like job listings that went up this week. And this the candidates need to have GPU performance experience in OpenCL, CUDA, and HIP. So this is especially important for Linux since AMD has been out outselling you know NVIDIA for 2019 and and crushing Intel. Uh, a ton, but I mean, Intel still owns a ton, uh, you know, like, cause they have, they both have a significant, you know, market share dominance already that the, you know, the ramping up of AMD is more like they're trying to pull away that market share, but they are being very successful in this based on these numbers. So, uh, you know, it's, it's also good that they're doing these partnerships and stuff. So, so Ryan, let, let us know more about, uh, how we're going to be able to shut you up on this topic, uh, going forward. <laughs> Well, look, I am very excited about this because I'm the first to critique AMD's drivers. They suck. They suck on Windows. They're terrible on Linux when when they first release a product. They eventually get it to the point. It's like when I got the Radeon 7, I told you about the 170 frames per second and Doom and all of this stuff, which is amazing. Radeon 7 was a fantastic video card entirely hindered by bad software drivers, right? They just were not. It's not like they crashed or anything. They just would never really release the full potential of their product until way da- later down the line. And that's why like Radeon 7 right now to me is one of my favorite, most exciting video cards on the market, but it's already so far gone from when it was released that they finally got the drivers to make to really open up the card to its full potential. And so I'm very excited that AMD, this is their second time that they've opened up job postings to for open source developers of their drivers. They're clearly investing in this because they also have massive partnerships in the cloud right now. And in, in that is, number one, heavily CPU and GPU-driven business for them. And so they are looking to make sure that their drivers, and it's of course, they run on open source, many of the, the cloud solutions. So they're looking to make sure their drivers can support that. And they're probably getting a lot of complaints from those companies saying, hey, you're, you know, we're only able to get 40% of the power that we think we could actually unlock out of this device. And so I think that's really cool that they are looking to improve this area and putting some money there. And it's about time that they do so. It's also interesting to see how dominant they are in this market right now. So they have recently have a total of 17.2% of the market share compared to NVIDIA 16% in 2019 of the market share for shipped GPUs. This is a massive outselling considering where AMD was prior to this. And this is why I'm telling people you better start paying attention if you want Linux to continue to dominate because you have a big player in here that's taking mass amounts of the market. 
Every single console that's being released that's coming out is not Intel-based, it's not NVIDIA-based, it's AMD-based. According to Steam survey, 25.17% of Linux users were using AMD processors as of December 2019. 16% of Windows users were using AMD processors. This is a massive chunk of a market now that's really starting to matter, but I thought it was so fascinating that your larger percentage of users of AMD are Linux. So again, I go back to, you better support it if you want your distro to have any chance because this is what people are looking for. It's just, it's not me just being uh, self trying to help myself. This is something where this is where the market's going. And I think we have to react to it. Yeah. To have compatibility, you need to have support. And like the, it is interesting to have like Linux has a higher percentage of AMD users. Uh, But also like if you go back, I don't know, six, seven years the percentage was so tiny that it was almost like not even worth mentioning. So the the change from two three percent, yeah, yeah. To, for for like in the Windows example, going from two two or three percent and on to going to sixteen from the from Steam users, like that is a gigantic chunk of support. And if if we want to convince or provide people to they have the approach to come to Linux, they need to have support for the hardware. So yeah. If you ever want to sell somebody on it, the the I I really think the answer to getting for this discussion to move forward is simply putting people who have a preference uh, or think they have a preference for one or the other inside of in inside of an AMD system because I I, I mean honestly it wasn't until you shipped this system to me that I sat it down plugged it in and went from I had I thought I had a good solid system that worked most of the time. But I went from that to having a system that works a hundred percent of the time, and just seeing that side by side is, you know, it kind of leaves a mark that doesn't go away. Yeah, and also uh, in order to shut Ryan up about AMD, I switched to AMD as well, uh, and actually, it was it, it was kind <laughs> that of what motivates the entire world. What shuts Ryan? Up? <laughs> why, that's why apparently that's why for this was AMD too. I figured he'd stop complaining. It yeah, worked. apparently for this oh, episode, look, my that's screen the goal. changed. That's so weird. It says, "By the way, I run Pop OS now." Oh, <laughs> that's fascinating. How quickly my loyalty shifted from Arch. <laughs> but it, it's it's pretty interesting because when I when, like what Noah was saying about like the, the the experience is it is once you use it. Like I was already the idea of AMD becoming an open source company. I was already on their side. It was like, yes, I'm going to start advocating for them. Uh, because that's you know, the philosophy that they're ap- adopting is important. And then when I actually switched to them, it changed my entire thought process on it. It's not just because, you know, because they're open source, that's fantastic. I'm going to advocate for that anyway. But also using it, the experience is so much better that it's just ridiculous. Like we're going from Intel to AMD, and specifically in the, pro- the processor experience, it is so much better that it's just it's kind of laughable and also when you add the mitigation aspects of all the security problems that keep coming up and amd not having to deal with those things as much like because they don't have as many vulnerabilities like it's such a massive difference on top of it that i mean clear linux is made by intel and it supposedly works better on amd that has to prove something Right. The, so the interesting thing you, is about the mitigations. I think that's an important topic because you did use good wording there. You said not as many because AMD certainly has mitigation issues they have to come up with. In fact, there's yeah. ones that have come out recently with AMD. And this isn't just to push AMD. This is my push for AMD is mostly from a market standpoint. Um, 
as I've said many times on the show before, I used Intel for many more years than I ever used AMD. I went and touched their stuff back when it was junk, which Same. was the majority of time for a while there. Uh, but now the things have changed. The market has shifted and Linux needs to adapt to that. And Intel has been there the whole time doing a lot of fantastic things for open source. So I don't want to see Intel get hurt. And I hate every time a mitigation comes out on Intel because I like the competition. The only way AMD and Intel are going to get better is they're fighting with each other and releasing better products at cheaper prices for us, the consumers. So I'm, I'm on board with that 100%. Um, but AMD does have mitigation issues, but because of the way that their particular version of Intel's ME system. Is it ME? Is that the acronym for it? Yeah, is, I am a uh, just much management engine. Yeah, is just less likely to be hit with that stuff yet. And I think there's probably been up until this market growth that AMD has had a lot less people testing for those type of mitigations. So you may see more news of that coming out. I don't think that's going to change in the processor world unless they stop predictive computing. And... I don't see that ever going away either. So you're going to continue to see these things. But most of AMD's mitigations or issues to this point have all been required physical access to the machine, not something you could execute through the browser, which I think has been a big difference. Right. And and also like the the, the vulnerabilities that have been, been coming out have been, you know, like it's not good that Intel's having this thing, but it's good for AMD in terms of market share and also why we should focus, you know, look at the more attention to AMD in terms of like support from distros and stuff, because, because of these mitigations, like the performance of AMD is already in benchmarks in most cases, you know, better in performance. So that's going to, that itself is going to bring their market share up. Then you have the mitigation issues that's going to increase their market share. So we have to, you know, take in consideration those factors. Uh, but I do think that, you know, I, I used to be an Intel fan and I agree that, you know, like 10 years ago, AMD was not even worth, talking about much less using and you know like it was the like the what was the, you know the, the 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 joke about how amd would just heat a room if you had it that would. Your it wasn't a joke yeah, yeah. well mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it was it was not it was a joke because it was accurate it was a fact too but the like the, the switch has now turned it to the other side so like you know we need to be you know focused on having support for amd and, and intel as well because they're still a dominant force in this thing but absolutely uh, you know, it's just something that we need to do, but also we need to make sure that we have the best support for threat rippers. I just wanted to put that in. Yeah. One point, of cor- one point of correction. I believe the latest takeaway vulnerability of NAMD was exploitable through a browser using Java. Oh, really? I, I think so. That. Yeah. And I expect, by the way, for everybody that this is going to continue for both AMD and Intel and anybody sure. that has a predictive engine in their CPU. And so you're going to be seeing a lot of news about this. It's really about how fast they react and patch it and resolve those issues, which Intel has done a great job of, I think, ultimately. They have made the decisions, and these have to be tough decisions. If you worked for Intel and they told you, hey, we know you just, you're just you having this terrible competition with AMD. AMD's stealing a big chunk of the market out there. We need to roll a patch to secure people's computers that's going to lower the performance of that CPU you just launched. Do you want to do it? I think a lot of companies would struggle with that and say, you know what? We're going to go ahead and just let that vulnerability stay out there because there's no way I'm going to let these YouTubers benchmark my CPU and get lower (laughs) results from it. But no, Intel decided we're going to go ahead and patch it. We're going to make the CPU slower as a result of it because that's what keeps people on the safer side of it. And I think that that they need some, uh, you know, praise for the fact that they've done that. And my expectation is that AMD would do the same thing as they've done in the past and mitigate it as well. 
this is not going to go away. This problem is going to continue to be to pop up over and over again unless they come up with some new way of doing predictive computing without putting anything into a, a vulnerable part portion that could be hacked, which is nearly impossible, at least of how we think about computing today. By the way, Walt, uh, one of our patrons, is already going with Ryan's new sign here about, by the way, I use Pop! OS and wants to know if there's a testing version they could try of 20.04 Pop! OS, Emma. See, uh, when Ryan complains, people listen. <laughs> so they've, there's been chat about actually doing a beta for 20.04 because there's so many new features in it. I don't have any information on when that will be, but hopefully soon since... I think end of April or early May is the launch date. So I would just stay tuned to our social networks to see when that beta becomes available. And you will be providing the Destination Linux crew a sneak peek before the general public, which I thought was so awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just to shut up, Ryan. <laughs> just to shut up, Ryan. So in our gaming section, we have a new game that's been released by developer Ghost Time Games called Test Tube Titans. And I am beyond excited. Don't you shake your head, Michael. I am beyond excited about this game. It's Noah's not, about, not a gamer. It's, it's the name no, is Test Tube Titans. It's just, listen, it's just, no, I mean I'm not a gamer. I'll no scope you 1v1. I predict Noah will become a hardcore gamer. His business is going to go down the tubes because all of his responsibilities are going to fall to the side as he sits there and drinks bubbly and plays this video game here we're about to talk about, Test Tube Titans. The name may be silly, but the game is, well, also silly, but in the best possible way here. Uh, You grow procedurally generated monsters in a lab, so you basically go and create your own variation of what you want your monster Godzilla-looking thing to be. And then you send them out into the sandbox world to create havoc on the you know, cities and police departments and everything else. And it uses physics-based controls. So that means you have a control for each individual arm and leg that you have to sit there on your comp- computer. So A would be your left arm, S would be your right arm, you know, D would be your left leg. And so you have to control them all in tandem. And your monster's walking around like, well, a silly monster would in a Godzilla, some of the original Godzilla movies, crushing in the buildings, falling, smashing things. And if you get the controls down, you'll be even able to eat people and destroy police cars and just, you know, go on a monster wrecking havoc and cause pandemonium. And you probably could hoard toilet paper as well uh, (laughs) since you're a giant monster and there's nobody there to stop you, which seems to be the thing people do in a pandemic. So I hide it in my test tubes. (laughs) So this game just looks insanely fun to me. Um, It looks like so much fun. Maybe it should just be banned, but go check it out right now on Steam because you can play it on Linux and I cannot wait to maybe during uh, one of our gaming events, we can see if there's multiplayer here. We can do this uh, for uh, a a DLN gaming night or something because it looks so stupid. Kind of like that gummy game, Michael, that we play. Yeah, we like playing these games that are just ridiculous. And in the idea of the, like, you know, when I was saying that the name is just silly, it's it's all that's not a bad thing because I actually do like these silly games. And there's sometimes when I am, uh, you know, play like I want to find these games that just have like ridiculous concepts because I just like the uniqueness of it too. And this does. I'm looking at the video right now. It does look completely absurd, and that makes me want to play it. <laughs> It looks awesome. Yes, Emma. The first yeah. thing the first thing I was thinking about was how cute the monsters are and <laughs> if 
if I could make mine exactly how I imagine it, and I think I can, because I oh. know I would want it pink, but I like that guy with the double arms. <laughs> the double arms. And yeah. you'd have to control each one with a separate key, which would mean your monster is going to be even more hard to control. But listen, hmm. that's just because you're an expert gamer. You could pull it off. You know? Well, I think if I make the right shortcuts, I could make that work with my fingers. I love it. Yeah, that is awesome. They they do say that it it doesn't have online multiplayer, but it does have a shared or split screen co-op or PVP. And they do actually have a listing that it does work with remote play together from Steam. So that is awesome. And we definitely need to do this on a stream or something. Just it, this is just we create our yeah. own monsters, you know, to dominate. What would <laughs> what would Noah? What would your monster be, man? Penguin. A penguin monster. <laughs> killer, killer penguin. Not the killer really. penguin going through Microsoft yep. Studios. Yep. Naturally. There you go. So this week's software spotlight comes from the community. Uh, Peter sent us it through the email, and has, he says, uh, "Hi Ryan, Michael, and Noah, uh, and I like. To, I'm a longtime listener from DLN, and I. I what? Oh, <laughs> why did I read that? Why did I read that? Uh, okay, okay. Anyway, we're gonna get one more try. One more try. This week's software spotlight <laughs> comes from the community, and it's not a sniper waffle. Uh, that, that's a, that's a, I got to put that in from the last episode we did this. It's just, it's, anyway, so Peter sends an email, and he says, a long-time listener to the show, uh, and I recently had to create a digital signing solution for a friend of mine who owns a bar. And I started it easy, but just, and just now becomes a real project on GitHub. So if you want to, it's, since Noah and Ryan have done some digital signage, feel free to check it out. And it is Raspberry Pi signage or Raspi or Raspy signage. Uh, we keep going uh, with all the shows. They are really, you know, they really feed my Linux brain whenever I want. So that, thank you all. And regards, Peter. So I, I, this is actually pretty cool. And I am, you know, just check it out if you want. To, it's, it's there's like a lot of options for this kind of thing, and it's really cool that there's making a new project for it because there's, you know, specifically for their features. So if you're like checking out, we'll have a link in the show notes for Raspy Signage. Yep. Not Sniper Waffles. No. Nobody wants a Sniper Waffle. Right. It is a Southwest Spotlight though. Southwest Spotlight. Spotlight. Yep. I like this how Emma has no t- idea what we're talking about, <laughs> and it's just like so awkward. <laughs> She knows yeah. Emma. You know what a sniper rifle is, right? Um, I want to say sniper rifle. <laughs> That's the correct way of saying it. But Michael, right. uh, okay, here's the context. It's, it's probably good for the context of the show too. But the you reason why Tunes, this right? nonsense happens and they're giving me trolls on the, the you know, whatever, it's because we, me and Ryan were doing Whoa. this. Uh, we were t- we were ha- we were playing some games on uh, CS:GO. And during mm-hmm. this thing, I was like, "Hey, I'm gonna go get the sniper rifle." And he's like, "Wait, what? What'd you say?" I was like, it didn't come out correctly, so it now is a thing that they give me. You don't say. Well, well, Anytime Michael makes a mistake, I turn it into a meme for the next 90 days. Yes, that is. Can you imagine <laughs> a sniper waffle? Like a waffle? <laughs> like throwing it like a frisbee, like a disc that like sniper slices waffle. heads off? Uh, speaking of silly games, that needs to be a thing now. It's like instead yeah. of like super frisbee or like whatever it's called, it's like it's going to be like waffles and that's you just replace the frisbee. Yeah, what is and it? And you co- get in our special waffle weapon could frisbee be the golf. sniper waffle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the it's like sniper the waffle. Red. Yeah, the sniper waffle. We need that. 
Our tip and trick this week is controlling your Raspberry Pi through Telegram and the Telegram CLI, which opens up a Lua interpreter. So this is a really cool project. It's one of the things that you can use to get started with the Raspberry Pi. Perhaps you've heard us talking about them on the show and you said to yourself, self, I would also like to play with this Raspberry Pi. I would like to harness the energy that is contained in the in the Raspberry Pi, but I don't really know what to do with it. Well, this is a very simple uh, project that you can set up and you can control your Raspberry Pi using Telegram. So you can send messages to a Telegram style bot and essentially what the Lua interpreter will go through and then process a uh, and, and complete a given action based on the message that you send. So what some of the examples that they give are you could set it up so that the Raspberry Pi takes a photo every time it receives a message from Telegram or perhaps you want it to send the, the photo through Telegram, you're able to do that. And just various different things. But one of the things that you notice is as you start to dig into uh, either services and or products that have APIs, it becomes kind of fun to piece puzzle pieces together and kind of make various different projects do things, even if you're not a developer and even if you have no development experience. You don't need to. Nice thing about a Raspberry Pi is you can pick one up with the power supply, the SD card, the whole nine yards, even a case for like 90 bucks connected to an existing display that you have. Telegram being a free service, while you're there, you should also join the Destination Linux Telegram group. But once you have that set up, you have all of the fundamental pieces you ha- that you need to start having cloud-based connected Raspberry Pi control. So it's pretty cool. Something I was playing with this week, thought I'd throw it in here. Yeah, because Telegram you could have on your phone or anywhere else, you could execute commands through Telegram to do things on your Raspberry exactly. Pi remotely. That's very awesome. Yeah. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. If you want a behind-the-scenes pass into the making of the show, and let me tell you, it's a sight to behold and an opportunity to chat with us live, consider becoming a patron. Our patrons help keep this show going each and every week, and they get perks like access to the live recordings and unedited versions of the show. So even if you can't make the live recordings, which are generally on Sundays, you still get access to the unedited version of the show that has all of the extra content in there. And the best part is you can join for just a few dollars on Patreon or sponsors. Destination Linux Network also has a great way for you to become a part of the community by going to destinationlinux.network and joining our forums. Discuss the shows, the network with listeners from all around the world, all in one place. If you're looking for a more live chat sessions, then you should join us in our interactive Telegram group in which we have well over 1,300 members of the community all actually interacting with one another and sharing their passion for Linux. If you want to learn more, head over to destinationlinux.network. We love hearing from you, so please get back to us and provide some feedback or ask any burning questions you may have. Send video links or comments to our email address, comments at destinationlinux.org. And please try to keep the comments brief as we may include them in a future episode of the show. Also, don't forget to go to the DLN store and pick up some swag from across the network of podcasts and shows. We have a limited edition design that shows off all the founding shows of the Destination Linux network. So grab yourself a hoodie, t-shirt, coffee cup. Many even claim that wearing a DLN t-shirt is a life-changing experience. I heard you claim that, Emma. That's fascinating. Thank you for bringing that up. (laughs) And if you want some more content from, from us, the fun doesn't stop here. We also have our own channels you can check out. And uh, Ryan can be found by going to dosgeekcommunity.com or his youtube.com slash dosgeek, and where you can find, he'll, he fills your brains on hardware, software, and all things Linux. And you can find my content at tuxdigital.com. We fixed this this week, and all Tux of a sudden, no, it, 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 it was fixed. It was Tux Digital, except for some reason, 
apparently, because Noah's back. By the way, Emma, if you head to TuxMyStool.com, you'll see that it actually is uh, Michael's website. Yeah, it, it I does. clicked on that a couple weeks he ago. Just, he, for some reason, doesn't appreciate his own yeah. website. I don't know why. Noah went there and spent <laughs> hard-earned money to uh, build a website for Michael, and this is how he right. gets treated. Yeah, Tux, yeah. Tux, I Tux my the commitment, Noah. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. So if, you, if you'd like to check out my in-depth weekly Linux news podcast this week in Linux, you can go to TuxMyStool.com and see all the other like, content I do as well. And if you want to check out Noah's content, you can go to xnoahshow.com or linuxstool.com where Noah does a weekly talk radio show where at 6 p.m. Central on Tuesdays. You can at, call in and ask him questions about Linux and just general tech questions and even business questions if you have those as well. And uh, Emma, where can people find you? I am on Twitter at Social Happiness. Nice. And we'll have links to that as well as System76 in the show notes if you want to check that out. And uh, make sure you check out the rest of the Destination Linux Network shows like Hardware Addicts, Linux for Everyone, and DLN Extend, as well as check out the forums and all the other great stuff that you can get at the destinationlinux.network. And or, why are we still changing this? Days? Okay, now Fill My Stool. I forgot about that one. Yep, that's that's fillmystool.com for Ryan's stool. content. Yeah. We need to put that back in there. It's, I like how you're like, you're having just instead of replacing it, you're just adding an extra like just in case you want to yeah. say this. Like, yeah, I totally want to say right. these things. Yeah, <laughs> giving giving you the option, Michael. I appreciate that. Okay, everybody, have a great week, and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, thanks. See you next week. <laughs>